The Bible clearly reveals that Satan seeks to seduce all humans. He marshals the entire demonic realm to deceive us and lead us into the same lustful, corrupt, and godless mindset that he's in. And with the vast majority of men and women, Satan has succeeded. The overwhelming bulk of humanity has bought the lie and is wholeheartedly pursuing temporal and self-centered things. In the sixth episode of our series, Babylon, the Seat of Satan's Power, we'll discuss what the Bible calls cosmos. Today we're going to look at what cosmos really is, why it's a serious threat to every believer, and what our response to it should be. Thanks for joining us. The purpose of this series, again, just to recap, is to help you clearly understand that Satan is working behind the scenes. He's relentlessly working to accomplish a number of things in the world. Now, on a micro level, he is always trying to seduce us, to seduce you, to seduce me, to live a life that is selfish and self-centered and morally corrupt. Why? Because a life like that separates us from God and his eternal life. Now, again, that's on the micro level. But on a macro level, he is also working. And that's the focus of our show today. Because if you really want to understand how Satan works in this world, you have to understand something that the Bible calls cosmos. In the last episode, we showed that Satan employs all of his efforts and energy to lead people into a corrupted and self-centered mindset, what we called the Babylonian mindset. This corruption and selfishness shuts God out from their inside world and leaves them separated from his eternal life. In this episode, we're going to extend that out into the aggregate total of mankind, billions of people, each with his own fallen nature, each with his own corrupted mindset. These billions make up a global whole that the Bible calls the world. The primary Greek term the Bible uses to describe this global group of unbelievers is cosmos. Ancient secular Greek used this word to describe an assembled collection of individual parts, hence where we get the term cosmic. Biblical writers then extended that secular term to refer to the mass of unredeemed humanity. The world could be said to have three distinct features, a collective mindset, a godless culture, and a global system. So let's take a few minutes to consider these three features of cosmos and how they affect the lives of believers. First, cosmos is the collective mindset of the billions of unsaved people that inhabit our planet. It should be remembered that unredeemed man is not influenced by the Holy Spirit. The unsaved live their entire lives in the flesh. The self-life with all its self-centered and self-seeking motives oversees and controls it all. Every desire, every thought, 
and every impulse is coming directly from a carnal, fallen nature. Assemble all of those minds together and you have a corporate consciousness, a powerful, unspoken force on Earth. Back in the mid-19th century, Richard Trench defined cosmos as all that floating mass of thoughts, opinions, maxims, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, aspirations, at any time current in the world, which it may be impossible to accurately define, but which constitutes a most real and effective power being the moral or immoral atmosphere which at every moment of our lives we inhale again inevitably to exhale. In other words, the shape of cosmos has changed many times throughout the ages, but can be clearly seen by examining mankind's collective consciousness and general trend of thought at any given time. The second feature of cosmos is that it has its own peculiar culture. I realize that a person could travel our planet and discover hundreds of diverse cultures, yet what becomes evident when you combine them into one corporate whole is that the differences are actually fairly insignificant and the similarities are noteworthy. It represents men of the world whose portion is in this life. The world has its own value system founded upon humanity's temporal existence on Earth. It has its own wisdom that is earthly and demonic. It has its own pleasures that appeal to the fallen nature. It has its own heroes, notable because of something about them that sets them apart from others. It's a culture made up of people living life without God. The truth is that humanity as a whole is only concerned with man's interests, not God's. Such thinking, according to Jesus, is satanic. This is important to keep in mind because we're told in Scripture that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Every unbeliever, whether they are a mass killer or a benign grandmother, is simply living an existence devoid of God's presence, direction, or help. The third feature is that the world must be considered as a global system. What I mean by that is that our world isn't as fractured and as chaotic as it appears to be. There is a spiritual ruler behind it all, a depraved mind that is creating a unity of purpose that is constantly directing what goes on throughout the earth. This fallen angel has one overarching passion, and that is to rid earth of God and his influences and bring it back to the days of Noah when he had an overwhelming grip on humanity. The insurrection of Babylon was but a precursor to the greater rebellion that will occur one day soon as the man of sin is given control of the governments of the world. A global mindset is forming which will usher in the Antichrist. Whereas Satan and his demonic legions have been content in the past to work within various people groups to turn them against God, modern technology has now given them the unprecedented ability to bring the entire corporate consciousness of mankind into one mind. And many are the advocates of Satan's agenda. In the vast sphere of filmmaking, 
Producers, directors, scriptwriters, and actors work together to produce motion picture and television storylines that both thrill the flesh and promote the enemy's plan. Political and social activists churn out humanistic causes to move the groupthink ever leftward. The academic realm and big tech largely support this global agenda through their respective spheres of influence. Organized religion furnishes people with just enough of a sense of the supernatural to make them believe they will end up in some sort of eternal paradise. Because Satan lies behind this entire global system, it cannot be considered as being spiritually neutral. It is not neutral. It is the inveterate, intransigent enemy of God, his kingdom, and his people. One writer said the spirit of the world is hostile to godliness, dominated by carnal ambition, pride, avarice, self-pleasing, and sensuous desires and interests. Its opinions are false, its aims selfish, its pleasures sinful, its influence thoroughly corrupt, its honors empty. So all of that sums up the definition of the Greek term cosmos. But what does that have to do with believers? Isn't the church immune to this godless agenda? No. A look into the Western church reveals the fact that she is largely made up of people who claim Christ but really don't live for him. The values and interests of multitudes of professing Christians by and large line up with the thinking of the world. In fact, many church members hotly resent the true claims of Christ on their lives. It should be remembered that the Greek term for church is ecclesia, which literally means called out ones. Carnal Christians want to believe that they're saved because they made a profession of faith once and regularly attend church services. But, like Lot's wife, the reality is that their hearts remain decidedly attached to the world. They have never really come out of it. True salvation is for those who have escaped the clutches of this world system. They are the set-apart ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Amy Carmichael, that godly missionary who saved countless little girls from wretched lives of sexual slavery, said the following, we profess to be strangers and pilgrims, seeking after a country of our own, yet we settle down in the most unstranger-like fashion, exactly as if we were quite at home and meant to stay as long as we could. I don't wonder apostolic miracles have died. Apostolic living certainly has. The Apostle Paul told the Romans, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. The world's system and the fallen spirit behind it is constantly seeking to squeeze the minds of believers into its attitudes, values, and opinions. Paul is telling us that we are not helpless victims who have no choice in the matter. We are commanded to resist the pressure that comes from the world to think like it thinks. Although we are still very susceptible to patterns of thinking that are decidedly opposed to Jesus Christ, with a consecrated heart 
and the aid of the Holy Spirit, we can control how much sway the spirit of the world has in our hearts and lives. But we must never, never underestimate the forces of evil that are in this world. They are pervasive and they are powerful. Cosmos is an incredibly powerful force. It's the united effort of men without God to create a world without God. Think of all of mankind's achievements. Achievements in science, art, innovation, industry, music, sports, business, etc. Think of all the opportunities to travel, to create, to enjoy, experience, to see and taste and touch. Think of all that we can do in this world. And these things appeal to us. They call to us to fill our lives with what is earthly and temporal and to indulge our senses. But if we pursue these things, we have to realize we are becoming one with cosmos and we are shutting God out of our lives. And it's for this reason that the Apostle John says so strongly, do not love the world. Okay, Ken, so um, we're going to do something that I don't think we've probably ever done on Purity for Life. Basically, we're just going to look at a passage of Scripture and... Um, For anyone who's listening, basically what I told Ken to do was to maybe spend some time in the morning just studying 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and I would do the same, and then we would just come in and talk about it. And so I'm not sure how this is going to go. You have notes, I have notes, and we'll try to relate this at some level to the um, monologue uh, that Pastor Steve did in the first segment, but... It's completely free-flowing. So um, let me just read the passage, and then I'll open it up to you, and you can just give some initial thoughts. This is from the ESV. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world." And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So, uh, yeah, I'll just open it up to you for something that jumped out to you that you want to share. Yeah, one of the first things that really jumped out to me is the fact that a lot of times when I'm thinking of worldliness in general, I'm thinking of outward things and what I'm doing outwardly. Okay. But we know your behavior is just fruit of where your heart is anyway, but he's actually talking about a heart posture here. Mm. Love not the world. And then he goes in to say what the things of the world are, you know, the lust or the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that they're actually heart issues. Mm-hmm. And your outward lifestyle is going to be indicative of where your heart is, you know. Okay, so then, yeah, like you said, sometimes when we think about worldliness, we're trying to figure out, okay, what things can I do? What things can't I do? But you're saying that when you read this, it's not so much about the external things, it's like the internal things. Right. Okay. Yeah, when I studied this passage, that's kind of the same thing that I, that was so interesting to me, was, 
that when he says, do not love the world, then you're kind of going, okay, so what is the world? Right. Right? And then he says later in verse 16, for all that is in the world. And then he talks about lust and pride, and that's just very interesting to me. He's not talking about systems. He's not talking about activities. He's saying everything in the world, lust and pride, this is what you can't devote your life to, you know, that agape, when it says do not love the world, that's the Greek word agape, the ruling passion of your life. So I found that was, I found that was really interesting myself. Yeah, and those are the things that the world, that's why, you know, he's telling us that, because the world caters toward those things. The mm. world system, everything around us is moving in that direction. And if we're not separate, then we're going to be in that same flow. Okay, so yeah, describe that flow. What are you talking about when you say that? That basically you're living to satisfy self, you know, to fulfill the desires of the flesh. I kind of looked that up, and, and it was actually talking about more like animal appetites, like even like physical pleasure, like okay. maybe overindulging in gluttony, eating too much food, just, you know, or, or drinking, you know, getting drunk, or sexual sin, you know, getting involved in some type of immorality. And then the lust of the eyes, it can still be possibly the idea of... Uh, you know, sexual lust, but it could also be just that coveting spirit, whether it's materialism, just wanting things. And then the pride of life, you know, that your heart posture is basically exalting yourself, whether Mm. it's a position, whether it's your possessions. And it's always, you know, in in comparison to other people or whatever, but the whole world mentality wanted to be on top. Yeah. So if your life is being devoted to those things, no matter how much you go to church, no matter how much you look to be a, a godly or a moral individual, that you're actually worldly. Mm, right, right. Yeah, and in Pastor Steve's first um, segment, he was talking about the goal of the enemy, which is to create in the world a unified mindset. You know, And that's always been one thing that's kind of mystified me at some level, you know, because I think we talk about like a divided country, for example. You know, I mean, especially with this newest Supreme Court ruling, it's like, okay, now the country is divided. Um, And what was interesting to me when I read this is that he's basically saying that what defines the world is like you said, this devotion to self. And so really, whether or not somebody's on the side of pro-life or pro-choice, they can still be in the same mindset, which is devotion to myself. Now, obviously, like that's a loaded moral issue. <laughs> so we're not saying that we believe that pro-life is wrong or that we wouldn't go that way. But the point is that whether you're Republican or Democrat or whether you're rich or poor, wherever you fall on certain sides of an issue, you can still be in your heart devoted to yourself. And so that's still making you a part of the world system. Yeah, and the other thing with that that came to me is there's two kingdoms and there's the world, which is a temporal system, mm-hmm. and then there's God's system, which is eternal. So even if you're doing all the right things outwardly, going to church and everything, but if your life is basically moving in the direction that the most important things to you are temporal, mm. then you're being worldly. If you don't have an eternal mindset and you're not set upon the kingdom of God, then basically what's going to happen is you're going to start 
taking on the values of this world, that mm-hmm. value system. And you're going to basically be living in this idea of what's in it. You may not say it, but your heart posture is what's in it for me now, today. Yeah, I think that that can be a challenge to really come to grips with, you know, that like if what I'm doing is coming from a selfish motive, then that's what God sees rather than God just looking at the external day-to-day life and like, oh, you did more good than you did bad, or I see that you're doing you know, A, B, and C, which is not good, but look at all the good stuff you're doing. You are going to church. You are an elder. You are a worship leader. And so God just kind of overlooks that stuff. You know, it's really kind of, it can take like some courage to come to grips with the fact that what the Lord is looking at is the heart. And even the best things we do can be flowing from a selfish and self-centered motive. And it should just give us, I think, all of us, like, pause to, hey, wow, why do I do what I do? Because if the world is all about the desire of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and the pride of life, man, I could be doing a bunch of good things, and it could be coming from those desires. Because if the desires of the eyes is really about seeing something and wanting it, that could be anything. That could be, I see a position at the church that I want, and I'm going after it. That could be, I see people's approval, and I want that, and I'm going after it. That could be, I'm a small group leader, and people look up to me, and now I'm boasting about it. That's the pride of life. You know, I mean, these things just like dig way deep into our lives, and that's what he's saying. We can't be devoted in that. It just, yeah, the Word of God really does cut like a two-edged sword right into the heart to find out what's really going on. What else did you see? One of the things I would say is Jesus said, where your heart is, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Mm -hmm. And I thought about that direction of your life, you know, what are you really seeking after? What's most important to you? Yeah. Um, So even though it is a heart issue, what you're doing on a daily basis will also show where your heart is. If, okay. if someone is just glutting themselves with entertainment, then obviously that's not something that they're seeking first, the kingdom of God. Okay. You know, or if you're doing something that's promoting self, like you mentioned, even if it's a good thing. I thought about an example of this. It's like uh, maybe more of a blatant one, like someone who doesn't claim to know the Lord or maybe a nominal Christian where they're not even living a godly life and it's obvious, maybe a rock star or something, and they're mm-hmm. living an immoral life, but they're doing all these humanitarian things. Okay. And it's like, that's, that doesn't mean you're godly just because you're doing something right. If, okay. If the general tenor of your life is flowing away from God and toward the world and the danger of it, you know, it's like, why would he command us not to love the world if there wasn't a danger that even Christians could fall into that? And it is a commandment. He didn't say, well, it's a suggestion. He, he says blatantly love not the world. And then I thought it was interesting he even ended this epistle with little children keep yourself from idols. So mm-hmm. just the whole idea of what's fueling the direction of your life is where your treasure is. Is there an idol in your life? Is there something worldly even if it's just simply a position? It doesn't have to be like 
all the trappings, like, you know, a new car, a new house, a boat, you know, all these different materialistic things. Mm -hmm. But it could just be desiring to promote yourself, to be the best at something, mm -hmm. to uh, elevate yourself above others, to have power or prestige, or just like you said, to look good or to be pleasing to people. But it's still promoting yourself. Yeah, one thing that's been really interesting to me is that it's like the things that I do are flowing from my heart, but the things that I do also influence my heart. And so it's like a, it's a cycle, you know? You have to watch your heart, but you also have to watch your actions. We're not like God. God never changes, but we're constantly in a state of change. And what we do can definitely influence that. I was thinking about where Jesus said in the parable of the sower that the seed is sown among thorns, and a person hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, and another account says, and the desires for other things choke the word. So the, the word would have had a effect, except that the person wasn't watching what they wanted and what they did. And so it chokes out the word. And it's not like the word conquers that lifestyle. That lifestyle is conquering the word. And that's not something that you want. Um, you don't want the word to be null and void because of how you're living your life. You know, and that's exactly what you're saying is that when John is talking to believers, he's talking to believers. There's a legitimate need for us to say, oh, hold on. I need to guard against this in my right. own life. Um, and that's... Right, I mean, like that's exactly the reason I think for Pure Life Ministries. We've got a bunch of professing Christians who have not been guarding their heart, and they've not been guarding their life. And look at the effect. Yeah, and obviously, if someone's to the point where they're just addicted to or totally enslaved to sexual immorality, then they haven't guarded their heart. Yeah, and it it, it shows that they they love the world, no matter what they profess. Right. And that brings me to another point where this is very convicting, that basically it's impossible to love God and love the world. Mm -hmm. He said, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So for someone that's given over to a lifestyle of habitual sin and just living in a totally worldly mindset, even though they're going to church and doing a lot of good things, well, that should, I guess... I would stand up at attention and say, wait a second, the Word of God says the love of the Father is not in me. I mean, that's that's huge. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely where I was at, for sure, before I came to PLM. I mean, I was leading worship, and I was going to small group. I was living with a guy and his wife who were working in an inner city. They were doing um, evangelistic work there, you know, and I was thinking about maybe I could work with them in their in their ministry, but I was totally totally obsessed with sexual sin. I mean, that's really what I lived for, you know? Like when I think about the passion of my life, the passion of my life was for sexual pleasure. And that's basically what he's saying. Like if you're devoted to the desires of the flesh, yeah, the love of the Father is not in you. And then when I came to pure life, what was so different was that I started to realize that I didn't love him, and I didn't know how to love him. And so I started crying out and crying out, like, I want to know you, I want to love you, I need this whole system 
of my life overthrown. And when I finally experienced the love of God for the first time, it was, I mean, it was life-changing to have that love actually burning inside of me. And then it created like a totally different kind of a life. Not, not without failure, not without sin, not without stumbles. There was like all that, you know what I mean? But the, the trajectory of my life completely changed. And from that point on, I could never go back to that life. I mean, in a, in a manner of speaking, right? Like I'm not impervious. It's not like I'm unsusceptible to backsliding. I'm just saying that there was such a difference in my life that going back to just nominal Christianity, going to church, and yet being devoted to sin and self was like just horrible to me, you know? Yeah, and one of the things you mentioned that caught my attention was the idea that you can actually be in sin and going to church and be totally deceived and somehow think that you're godly and you're not worldly, you know, that you're basically, yeah, I love God, but I have, a, I have you know, this issue or whatever. But again, the Word of God cuts to the quick here and says, no, if you're living a worldly lifestyle or if your heart posture is worldly, then you don't have the love of God in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Right, because the love of God would propel you in a totally different direction. Right, because the Father is against the world. Right. Not in the sense of hating people, but he can't be, um, he's not at peace with the spirit of the world because he knows what's behind the world system. You know, he's looking not at just people who are living worldly lives, but he's looking, like Pastor Steve talked about in his first um, segment, God also sees the spirit that's behind that world system, a spirit of absolute hatred for God and hatred for people. And how could God be at peace with something like that, you know? So it's like, if we're in that same mindset that the world is in, we might not realize that we are in league with the devil, Right, but that is going to become apparent on the day of judgment. That's why we have to just totally separate ourselves from the world, or at least, yeah, I guess it's a little bit challenging to talk about what does it mean to separate from the world. Like, again, does it mean I don't do this and don't do that and don't do this? Really, it's, we're dealing with, we have to deal with our heart. What's happening in the heart? Exactly. And one of the things I thought of when you were saying that is the idea that Somehow Christians have made this not a big deal, but it's a big deal to God. Mm-hmm. That exactly what you said, that this spirit of the world is actually hostile to God. Mm. It's diametrically opposed to God. The value systems are exactly the opposite. You know, the Word of God says, what does light and darkness have in common? There's, there's no commonality, and it's even diabolically opposed to God. Like you said, the spirit behind it is the devil himself. And then just the idea that it's actually, you know, I heard it said, maybe Pastor Steve or somebody said, you know, remember the spirit of the world murdered Jesus. Yeah. I mean, that's how bad this thing is. And, you know, I've heard of the expression like the beautiful side of evil. 
it looks good. It's alluring, you know, and that's the, the tempting aspect. And even the idea that it's not like the world makes things up. The world didn't create the universe. That spirit of the world didn't create sex and all the things God has given us to enjoy as a part of life, but it exploits those things mm. for our destruction. And that's the idea that it, it wants you to even do legitimate lawful things, but to overstep the boundary and do it in an unlawful manner, that instead of enjoying the things God has given us, like he says, freely enjoy all things, and those enhancing our relationship, praising God and thanking our creator for all the wonderful gifts, these things actually put a wedge between us and God and actually drive us away from God Okay, when they're pursued in a worldly mindset. Okay, yeah, man, that's so good. So like, give a couple examples maybe of how something legitimate and lawful that could be used to glorify God instead becomes a wedge between us and God. Well, uh, Paul said, whatever you do, whatever you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. So, and God has given us freely all things to enjoy. So if you, if you sit down with your family or friends or members of your church and enjoy a good meal, I mean, they even did that in the New Testament. House churches, they were like love feasts. Uh-huh. Where you're actually fellowshipping with people. You're enjoying the provision of the Lord. You're meeting legitimate physical needs to nourish your body. And all that is glorifying to God, and it can actually enhance your relationship to God if you're being grateful and thankful. But you could do the same thing and have people get together, and they're using food, and now they're basically in gluttony, and they're just overindulging their flesh. You know, a classic example would be in our culture, you may be going to a buffet, and someone eats like five plates of food or right, something. Right, right, right. You know, then you just pass out from a carb coma or something. <laughs> You know, so so it's not like there's anything wrong with eating. It's a necessity. Yeah. But you can take it beyond that bound. And if that's all you're doing is to live for that, you know, or someone is overweight, maybe they're 200 pounds overweight, and they literally have made a god out of their appetite. Mm. You know, Paul talks about the King James says, whose god is their belly, you know, their appetites. Yeah. And then sex, the same thing. God created sex. Yeah. And it's a wonderful capacity in a context of marriage for a man and a wife to express love and commitment to one another. Mm. But outside of that bounds, it becomes evil. Yeah. Yeah. And as you're talking about it, again, it's where is your desire coming from? Is it flowing out of this selfishness? Or is it flowing out of a desire to give? That's one thing that just really has struck me over the last few months is at the very beginning of the Bible, God created many, many good things. He saw you know, that these things were so good, and then he gave them to the man and the woman. You know, That's the nature of God to give. And then how did the devil corrupt the woman, not by putting before her something just super evil, but if you look at the description of the fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it says that she saw that it was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and it was desirable to make her wise, you know? And he said, take that. Take that for yourself. Even though God has forbidden it, take it. So the taking of something good for self was the very entrance of all the corruption in the world, you know? And it's just really fascinating to me that that choice is still before us every day of our lives. We can see what's good and we can give 
or we can see something that's good that God has said no, and we can take it for ourselves, and it just ends in death. That's exactly what he's talking about, too. Here, the world is passing away along with its desires, and we'll pass away, too, if we're, if we're um, in bondage to those desires. And as you alluded to, the whole idea of that passage in Genesis uh, was, you know, all those things corresponded to this verse here. You know, the devil hasn't changed his tactics. Yeah. And the scary thing is, so he was appealing to, you know, good for food, the, the lust of the flesh, pleasant to the eyes, you know, the lust of the eyes, and desirable to make one wise, you know, the pride of life. Yeah. But the scary thing is he was able to tempt her and she wasn't fallen yet. Mm. He appealed, like you said, to good things, to natural desires, but he exploited those to get something for self, to go outside of God's will and get something for self, and really to seek life and independence from God. Yeah. I mean, that was that was the bottom line, you know, to disobey God and to seek fulfillment outside of Him, which is the big lie. There is no life outside of God. Yeah. Yeah, and that's actually something that Pastor Steve mentioned in the first segment, which is just talking about cosmos, and that really is, that whole concept of cosmos is basically the the entire world system unified in rebellion against God and seeking life without God. It's amazing to me when you look at science and technology and where this is all headed and trending, you know, it's the, the whole medical world is health without God, the entire entertainment industry is pleasure without God, the technological industry eventually, I think, is trying to attain literal, eternal life without God. And so you just can see how this is, this is the spirit that's behind the world, and that's what John is calling us all to come out of. Do not be like that. And it begins in the heart, you know? Uh, What's the... I can't remember who said it, but talked about the expulsive power of a new affection. Is that what it was? I think it was... Was it Thomas Aquinas? I don't know who it was. Yeah, I'm not sure. Thomas Akempis, maybe. The the expulsive power of of a new affection. Essentially, if we will cry out to God for a love, His love... If we really pursue that, I'm not talking about every once in a while we say, oh, Lord, help me love you more. I'm, I'm talking about we're, we, we really deny ourselves. We make efforts to like really seek after God, cry out to him over his word. When his love comes into us, it expels the love of the world and protects us from that and keeps us from being like this. All right, that's it for today's show. I would urge you to check out the bonus material for this episode because three of our staff members came into the studio and they talked about specific aspects of the world that they were the most vulnerable to and how God opened their eyes to those areas and what it looks like for them now to remain separated from the world. Pastor Steve mentioned at the very beginning of this series, and I want to stress what he said again, There is a strong, strong connection between worldliness and sexual sin. And if you're bound up in sexual sin and you can't understand why you can't get free, you need to take a hard look at this. How tied in 
are you to the things of the world? Here's some questions that you could ask yourself. How enmeshed am I in entertainment? How much time do I spend on social media? How important are sports to me? How much of a grip does the news have on me? How much money do I spend on toys, hobbies, vacations, food? After you've asked those questions, add it all up and ask yourself this. Does the spirit of the world have substantial inroads into my inner life? And if the answer is yes, then you need to ask God for wisdom for how to begin to shut those doors. Because you need to remember this, the spirit of the world gets a hold on your heart through the things of the world. And if the spirit of the world has a hold on you, then sexual sin will also have a hold on you. So what do you do if you realize that you're in serious trouble, you need a lot of help, and that you really need to break free from the spirit of the world? Well, there's only one thing to do, and that's what I was exhorting at the end of that interview. We have to get desperate. We have to cut off every avenue that the spirit of the world has used to get into our hearts and minds, get rid of social media, TV, movies, magazines, and whatever else we need to. Anything that is leading us into sin and sensuality and compromise and worldliness. And then we start crying out to God with desperation that he would come to us and cleanse our hearts and put new desires and passions within us, passions and cravings for him and his kingdom. We consecrate to spending time with him every single day, no matter what, in prayer, studying his word, in worship, in communion with the saints. We fight to know him with all of our heart and all of our soul. In other words, we do what God has commanded us to do. Come out of Babylon and return to the Lord. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.